0: It's Super Bowl Sunday, come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at Copper Hills, and I'm so glad to welcome you here to our church family at home. Uh, Welcome as well. Uh, We would love to have you join us as uh, soon as you're fit and able and feel comfortable. There is just nothing like being together, right? Yes. But... We know that's not possible for all of you, so welcome as well. It is Super Bowl Sunday. Go Cards? No, no. Go Rams? No, not in this house. No. Uh, go Bengals? Yeah, there you go. Uh, who cares? That, that's the category. Who cares? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, okay, so um, before we get to that icon right there, I want to invite you to something this Wednesday. If you're new to Copper Hills, uh, maybe it's been your home for just a few months, but uh, you really don't know much about Copper Hills. We want to provide opportunities where you can. And so uh, f- three or four or five times a year, we do something called Copper Hills 101, and that's happening this Wednesday from seven to nine in the coffee shop right over here. And it really is information about Copper Hills, what we believe, kind of how we got our start, our values, <laughs> our, our mission, that kind of thing. And if that's of interest to you, we would love for you to register on our website, copperhills.org backslash events Let us know that you're coming, but would love to host you this Wednesday right over here. All right, so last weekend, Pastor Paul started us off on a four-week series looking at one of Jesus' most famous parables. And as Pastor Paul said, if you're not familiar with what a parable is, Uh, There's this kind of slogan that's used to describe them. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Or in other words, it's ordinary daily experiences in Jesus' life that he saw, out of which he drew deep spiritual lessons and meaning. So in our day, it would be like this. Uh, There was a businessman who was commuting downtown to his job and then Jesus would add something to that. We could learn from that. Or it could be a student at school was in an ordinary history class and then this happened. And Jesus would draw spiritual truths out of that. So in this case, it's an agrarian culture and Jesus has evidently seen something where he would, oh, there's some spiritual depth to what I just saw. And then he tells the story. This is how he starts the story. Then he told them that's his followers a large group of people many things in parables saying here's one for example a farmer went out to sow his seed happened every day as he was scattering the seeds some fell along the path and the birds came up came and ate it up pastor paul looked at that last week if you didn't if you weren't here or didn't tune into it go to our website it's just an excellent story of uh, what God does and what he's trying to say through that first part of the parable. Let's go to the second part of it. Jesus goes on and he says, Some fell, some seed fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Now, in Jesus' day, that's an ordinary story, and I'll bet I just picture Jesus' guys looking at each other and going, what? What's he talking about? We see this going on all the time. Why does he just randomly tell these stories? Well... This is where context matters. So here's a bit of a picture of what they might have run into every day, guys in dresses, I guess, spreading seed. This is not from 2,000 years ago. This is a couple of hundred years ago, but the idea is still the same. Walk through a field and spread it, and you'd spread it randomly. It would land on some soil that was really fertile, and it would create a flourishing crop. Then others would fall on rocks and in weeds and on pathways and so on. And as you hear the story unfold, you go, how in all the world do you get a spiritual lesson out of that? It's so ordinary. Well, yes and no. This is where context matters so much. I don't think, this is my view, Brad's opinion, so you can just file this away, uh, I don't think these are random stories. I think there's things that are going on in Jesus' life, just like they go on in your and my life, where we live them and we experience them and we try to make sense of them. And I think Jesus has that same experience. I think he saw some things that he went, huh, why does that happen? Why do they respond like that? Why does that work out that like that? So if you look at the experiences leading up to this story that Jesus tells, it gives a little bit of context for maybe what he's thinking. So if you go back to Matthew's account of it, it's in all three uh, three of the four eyewitness accounts, Matthew, Mark and Luke uh, so significant, evidently to all of them, that they all included, except for John. So if you look back several weeks leading up to Jesus telling the story, you know what you discover? You discover that a few weeks, probably something like that. His good friend John, who had baptized him, has sent Jesus a note by a messenger saying, "Jesus, I watched what you're doing. I hear the things you're doing, and frankly, I'm a little disappointed. And I'm starting to wonder if you're the real deal. What's that like to get that note, right? Like you sit up and listen and you go, this is the guy that announced my arrival. He baptized me. He was there when God's Spirit landed on me. How can that happen? Well, if it stopped there, you would go, okay, that itself would create some internal discussion but you find out that uh, you know just a little bit after that Jesus is reflecting on some of the cities where he did some incredible miracles and how those cities so rejected him that he says I couldn't go there and do any more miracles because their faith was so weak I had done these great things unique to those cities and now they won't trust me now that's a little disappointing you read on a little bit further and you realize the religious elite of the day are ragging on him and nagging on him because of the way he handles the Jewish Sabbath. And they're just disappointed with Jesus, how he's conducting himself. And they let him know that. You're way out of line, Jesus. As a religious leader, as a Jewish religious leader, you should be following this. You really disappoint us. There's another incident not very far from there where (laughs) As shocking as this is, Jesus does some incredible miracles in people's lives, and the religious leaders come to him and go, you so disappoint us, Jesus, with what you do and what you teach that we think you get your power from Satan himself. What? Really? Yeah, that's all the lead-up, that's all the run-up to him telling this story. And then, get this, Mark in his account tells us that the morning of when Jesus tells this story, his mom and brothers come to him, kind of pull him aside from the group and go, Jesus, uh, come with us. Like, We've come to rescue you from yourself. We think you're having a mental health breakdown with the stuff you're doing, and it's just kind of disappointing. It's a bit embarrassing to our family maybe, just disappointing, so why don't you come with us? Can you believe that? What would you do if your family, well, maybe some of you had that. Maybe some of you need that, right? Like, this is the culture. This is going on. In fact, this passage, the first verse of it says, later that day that Jesus' mother and brothers came to him, later that day, same day, he tells this story. So what's the deal with farmers and seed and sowing and hard ground and uh, the the whole metaphor of sowing what is this all about well uh, they don't quite understand what he's doing and so they the 12 guys once they break away from the crowd they invite Jesus off to by himself and they go Jesus could you help us with something could you tell us why you speak to the people in parables we don't quite get it you know he just told that farmer sowing seed thing but why why to which Jesus tells them this. He says, Well, the reason I do is because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And what in all the world does that mean, right? Well, what Jesus seems to be saying to them is, Guys, You walk with me. The 12 of you live with me all the time, and I've been sharing with you the wonder of why I've come. I've come to make the kingdom of God accessible to all human beings. What that means is I've made it possible by my presence here for you to experience the wonder of what life looks like when God's in charge, when he gets his way, where he reigns. Now, he reigns with power and authority and justice and truth, and love, and grace, and mercy, and I am the exact representation of God. So when you see me function with you guys, that's how he functions. I've invited you into that close relationship. You get it, at least in part. But there are a whole bunch of people that don't get it, and I'm not okay with that. So I try to tell them about the kingdom of God and what life with me would be like in these stories because I want them to get it. So it's important that they would experience That's why I tell them. But there's another reason why. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And then he quotes from the Old Testament. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You can look this up. He takes them back to a time in Israel's history where they have walked away from God, where they have followed other gods, where they've sold off or given the worship artifacts of the temple to pagan, God, uh, pagan authorities and powers. And they've essentially abandoned God and left God out of it because they're so disappointed in how God has led them. And Jesus is coming to them and going, see, they've heard but they don't understand what I'm about. So I want to tell them these parables so that they do. You see, you'll, you will be ever hearing. Now he's quoting Isaiah. You'll ever be hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but not perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They're disappointed with God. And they've kind of got a heart that's no longer responsive to them, to him and this is what he's concerned with they hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes otherwise they might see with their ears hear with uh, he, might see with their eyes hear with their ears understand with their hearts and turn and i would heal them this is the prospect that's there for them and he goes on but blessed are your eyes guys because they see in your ears because they hear for truly I tell you many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it so what is that all about? so Jesus is turning to these guys after telling them the story of this farmer sowing seed they ask him what it's about because they don't get it and he's saying because I want the world to know about the kingdom of God and what it's like to live with him you've seen a taste of it you've seen it in me but there are a whole bunch of people who are disappointed with it because they don't understand it. They think I should be something other than I'm not. They think that I should do things that I am not going to do. They've got an idea of how I should function, and they're just disappointed. God ever disappoint you? I think the story applies to us as well. You see, there is no quicker way to have a heart that becomes calloused and hard then for God to not fix something, do something, repair something, give you something, do something for you, set something straight, and then he doesn't do it. But the interesting thing is oftentimes our hearts don't instantly harden up. There's a callous that starts to form, and then we nurse that a little bit. And then the callus expands, and then there's more, there's more calluses because he disappoints over and again. And soon, we're not just disappointed in circumstances, we're disappointed in him. And that's the hard heart. That is the seed falling on rock. It just can't germinate. It's not successful because the heart, the surface that it lands on is hard. Now, we might say, well, that's not the case, but this is what Jesus points to. Because this, this is how he explains the parable. He says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path that was last week. This week, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. What is that? Well, sometimes, tell me if this isn't either your story or the story of someone you know. They live in a place where there's some distance between them and God. And then they discover God and his wonder, and his glory. He does something for them. He reveals himself to them somehow. He forgives them of stuff they've done. He reveals the power and wonder of who he is. They experience his love. And it's a great start. And they think if that's what life in the kingdom is about, I'm all in. That's going to be a good life. Yeah. And then something happens. Something disappoints them. Something doesn't turn out. Something sends their life wayward or brings their life into question. And then they start to wonder. Crisis and difficulty cause them to begin to wonder, is it really that good? Is he that good? And it's just a short step from there to be disappointed, not just with the circumstances, but with him. And that is a dangerous route. And Jesus has looked at that. He's just experienced it in the weeks before, and he goes, no, no, no. You're going to miss out on the kingdom if you let your heart be hard. Israel, you know from your history that's happened. Some of us look at our history. We can go, yep, there's that disappointing thing that whatever it was, and that kind of turned me off to God, and here I am. I don't really have a sensitivity to him. People talk about hearing his voice. I don't hear it. Some people talk about being convicted by him. I don't get it. Yeah, that's callousness. that's turned into hardness. Look, for sure... There are disappointing things that happen in life. We've all had them in one way or another. Some of us are living those right now. December of 2020, uh, about 13 months ago, uh, Vicki Davis, beautiful woman in our church, stopped me in the plaza right here. And she said, uh, Brad, would you pray for me? I just got diagnosed with uh, uh, glioblastoma cancer, brain cancer. And uh, my doctor tells me I have 7 to 12 months left to live. And I am just so terribly disappointed. I have two daughters I want to raise. I have a family. I am 52 years old. I've got a lot of life left in me. I'm just really disappointed with the circumstance. I'm trusting Jesus, but I'm really disappointed. So were we. And so we prayed. And we asked Jesus to heal her. She said, would you pray that God would give me 10 years? And so after we prayed for 10, we prayed for full healing. And then last Sunday afternoon, we did Vicki's memorial service here. That's disappointment, right? That is sad. And it's so easy to blame God for that, to be disappointed with him, not just the circumstance. A wife comes to a husband and says, uh, I'm just done with this marriage. It's over. I'm not interested in working on it. I'm not interested in getting help. I'm just done. Let's unravel this thing. Here's the stuff I want. You can keep that stuff. And uh, everything that he tries, everything. She just pushes back, and in the end, the divorce happens. And that's disappointing. But it's so easy to go from that disappointment to disappointment with God, and that's a different thing. Businessmen saves money as a family. They start a business. They're excited about it. It takes off, and then a global pandemic starts. And today, he doesn't have his business, and he's lost all the money that he put into it. And it's so easy to go from just being disappointed about that to being disappointed with God. A young college student, 22 years old, loves Jesus, uh, serves the campus where he's at in the worship ministry of that, uh, of a campus ministry. And uh, is effective, and God's using him, and then privately he shares with someone that he doesn't have his whole faith figured out, that he's got some questions at times, and the next morning the leader of the campus ministry asks him to step down. That one's really close for Elfie and me, and it's not far from just being disappointed that it happens to being disappointed with God that it happens. You see... This is us, and I think Jesus comes along and goes. I know you're going to experience disappointment, and I know the things, large and small, that come into your world. I know that, but the kingdom's still real. But if if it lands on a hard heart that's been calloused, you just won't receive it for the wonder that it is, and I'm concerned about that. But here's the thing: this is us, right? This is human beings. It isn't just those big things. That disappoint, or reveal the formation of calluses on our hearts. It's the littlest things. Um, a couple of months ago, uh, Elfie called me about five thirty in the evening and said, "Brad, my car—it's—it's—it's it's, it's not running right." And uh, to which I said, "Who's this?" <laughs> no, I said, "Oh shoot! Uh, it's twenty minutes for me to drive over there. Why don't you just leave the car?" And uh, I'll come get you because I've got an appointment that I've had on my calendar for a couple of weeks. Someone needs me, and I promised I would be there for them. And I don't think I have the time to kind of figure out your car and uh, still make that appointment. But I'm going to drive over and and, and get you. So I drive over, and as I'm driving over, I'm thinking, she's expecting her man to fix the car, right? (laughs) Of course. So I pull over, and I go... It's the engine in the trunk or the front? Like, where is it? She says, it's in the front. This is how much I know, right? So pop up, pop open the hood, and I fiddle around with my hands to make her think, he's actually doing something. I'm doing nothing, right? She said, like, fire it up. So she fires it up. I said, yep, that's definitely not running smooth. <laughs> Mechanic mind, right? I said, fortunately, there's a uh, O'Reilly's Auto Parts just around the corner. Why don't we just get it over there? We'll get the parts guy. To help us with this maybe it's a simple fix and so we pull over there meantime i've got a i've got a car guru by the name of adrian and i call him up and go hey adrian yeah i did and i said here here's the situation can you talk me through like what has to happen here because i, I want to fix it but I, I got this appointment i have to get to he says well have the parts guy do a scan and it'll tell you what's wrong with the engine it's okay So parts guy plugs in his little device, and he goes, yep, uh, you have an ignition coil issue. I go, what? An ignition coil. So what's an ignition coil? Well, it's underneath that cowling right over there. He said, oh, okay. Adrian, he says it's an ignition coil. Yeah, that's easy to fix. Take you 10 minutes to fix it. Adrian doesn't know who he's talking to, (laughs) right? So between Adrian, my buddy, and parts guy, we kind of pull things apart. I get it changed and we're on our way and everything's great. God answered prayers, right? Not exactly how my thinking was. I'm in the middle of trying to fix this thing. I don't know what I'm doing. I have a hard time understanding Adrian's instructions, and parts guy can't touch my engine because there's a policy of that. And I'm thinking this God, why now? Why now? Why not tomorrow? Or why did I pick up the phone? Or, like, why now? I'm not just disappointed that this happened. I'm actually a little frustrated with you. And uh, so get the thing fixed and enough and get on our way. Alfie's driving home, and I'm driving behind her down the 303 heading west, and I have this thought. So... um, why are you so disappointed? I said because it, it just kind of wrecked my plan for tonight. So are you disappointed that your plan got wrecked, or are you disappointed that I didn't make it work out okay? And I had to be honest. I had somehow shifted from just being like annoyed and disappointed to being disappointed with him. And then a callus formed on my heart. That's what happens. And I have this thought, Brad, is this how you want to do grace, your, your relationship with me? That when it doesn't turn out, the littlest things, that you form this callous on your heart toward me and you, you blame me. Remember I'm the maker of the universe? Remember I loved you enough to die for you? Remember who I am? Remember the kingdom that you want to live in? Remember that? So you're going to have to deal with that callous, and I'll help you deal with it. But unless your ego is going to be in the place where it is and you can't humble yourself and just admit that's happening, when the really big thing does come along, you'll be ill-prepared for it because your heart's going to have all these calluses on it and then calluses become larger calluses and then the heart becomes hard. And then when the big thing happens, your heart's not soft to what God wants to do. And I'm not okay with that. Are you okay with that? You see, this is what Jesus, I think, is telling his buddies who are in the circle. Saying, "Guys, look at my last few weeks. A lot of really difficult stuff." And I, because Jesus was tempted in every way, but without sin, right? I think Jesus had to have some conversations with his father, and go, "Father, look at what's happened here. I, I wanted." I want to not only just live in this wonderful kingdom that we're bringing to the world, but I want others to live in it. And I can't be hardened to other people, and I can't be hardened to how you're doing things. Father, in spite of the fact at the end of my life, I'm going to cry out, oh, Father, would you take this from me? But not my will, but yours be done. It's an amazing way that Jesus lives his life. It really is. And we're invited into this place where we notice the little calluses that are formed, and humbly bring them to him and invite him to shape and remold our thinking. But that takes humility. It takes some honesty, some truthfulness. Um, Jesus' friends from time to time would watch how he interacted with people. There's the, the day that a really wealthy he's called a wealthy ruler, must have had some influence, maybe government influence or whatever it would be, comes to Jesus and says, hey, this I kingdom idea that you've talked about is really wonderful, i really like that. And um, I think I'm all in with you on that. To which Jesus says, okay, there's just one thing. You've got a callus on your heart as it relates to your finances. You want to keep it all for yourself, you want to spend it on yourself, you want to do your thing, and I know it's a hard teaching, but get rid of it, just sell it get rid of it, to which the guy with the wealth and the power goes, "That's that, that callous I'm not willing to deal with, and he walks away. He says, he walked away really sad. I wonder how the rest of his world turned out. I'm just curious. How is it that you and I can deal with the calluses, and if we're past the callous point and those calluses have formed a hardness to him, how does that happen? It's an interesting thing. Did you know that the seed itself can have a softening effect on the heart? There's something in rock science that uh, I learned this last week that hard soil can actually, or hard rock, can actually turn into fertile soil. There's a little uh, acrostic or an acronym that's used for it. Uh, Corped cl- is that how you say it? Probably. There's some components. So climate affects turning rock into, into flourishing soil. Uh, so lots of rain, little rain, heat, cold, that kind of thing. Organisms, these are everything from little worms and mites and bacteria and chemicals and so on that are inside the rock. That can soften it and make it uh, soil. Relief or topography, the type of topography it's in. If the rock sits in water a lot of the time, it's in a low-lying area. Parent, that's the nature of the rock itself, whether it's granite or limestone. And then time. Time. Just course of time. Here's the thing that's interesting. The two most powerful effects are organisms and time. If you have said yes to Jesus, if you have confessed your waywardness and your independence of him, and invited him in the power of his mercy and forgiveness on a cross to pay the price for that and have said, I want to live in your kingdom with you. If that transaction has happened, you don't stumble into that. You aren't born into that. It's a decision that you make. God has promised, when that happens, I place my spirit, God the spirit, inside of your life. And now you've got an organism working inside of you. The power of God's spirit to soften calluses, the power of God's spirit to take hard hearts and make them soft. And you got time on your hands as long as he gives you time. And he's going to use that time to make your and my heart soft to him because he wants us to live in the fullness of his kingdom. But here's the thing. He's not a bully. He won't insist on it. He'll make the offer. And you and I need to humble ourselves enough to go, I want that working in my soul, in my heart. Where my heart is hard, would you soften it? Or as King David says in Psalm 139, Search me, O God. See if there be any wicked way, anything in my heart, and lead me in the path of righteousness. This is how God takes calluses and softens them. You know, the interesting thing is, We admire the virtues of people who go through, like, difficult struggles and hard decisions uh, that produce virtues of honor and grace and goodness. So, for example, you cannot develop courage without fear. You cannot uh, develop a six-pack like mine without exercise. (laughs) Yeah, you know. The thing is a soft heart cannot be developed unless there's disappointment or disagreement with what God would do and say but that's the very thing he wants to use to soften the heart so he can speak and grow and develop us into fully operational kingdom developers it's a it's an amazing plan that he has so what would we do if we were to do what David did search my heart and we find some calluses we find some hardness would we be willing to take some time with him and say, this is my reality? Would you, Spirit, would you come and give me a new way of thinking about this where I'm disappointed with God, not just the circumstances? Would you renew me? Would you, would you make me different in my thinking? This is what God's Spirit wants to do, but it requires us to step into that place and let him do that in our souls and our lives. Would you be willing to do that? Would you stand with me? Jesus, you've invited us to live in your kingdom, to enjoy life with you, to experience the wonder of who you are and what you offer us in real terms. Might we be among those this week that would be willing to carve out some time of quietness with you, let you examine us, Discover what we're thinking. Discover those callous spots. And by the power of your spirit, would you soften those and build in us the kind of virtue that would resemble you, Jesus. We ask you that humbly and expectantly. Thank you, King Jesus. Amen.